This is Vis-a-Vis, a new podcast series brought to you by the Alliance Program at Columbia University. Vis-a-Vis features conversations that challenge our understanding of key global, economic, and social issues by casting them in a transatlantic perspective. I'm Emmanuel Catan. I head the Alliance Program, a partnership between Columbia University and three French universities, Sciences Po, Paris en Panthéon Sorbonne, and École Polytechnique. Every episode, I sit down face-to-face with, or as we say in French, vis-a-vis, some of the most insightful thinkers on both sides of the Atlantic. I hope you enjoy our conversation. In the wake of current debates on racism and racial discrimination in the US and Europe, the question of reparations for slavery is gaining renewed interest. In France, The 2001 Taubira law recognized for the first time slavery and the slave trade as crimes against humanity. But it stopped short of calling for reparations for descendants of enslaved people. In the United States, the debate over reparations was rekindled by Tanahisi Coates in his 2014 essay, The Case for Reparations. In her book, Faire Justice de l'Irréparable, Justice as a Response to the Irreparable, Magali Besson, professor of philosophy at Paris and Panthéon-Sorbonne, explains that the French abolition of slavery in 1848 did not put an end to economic exploitation, nor did it generate political and economic equality for formerly enslaved people. Similarly, in the United States, promises of compensation made to formerly enslaved people after the Civil War were not kept. Advocates of reparations draw attention to the fact that slavery constitutes a structural form of injustice whose effects are still felt today in our social norms and practices, but also in government policies. The policy of redlining in the United States, which is still having an impact on access to housing and house ownership for thousands of African Americans, is an example of this. In order to guide us through the maze of questions raised by the issue of reparations for slavery, vis-a-vis is honored to welcome Professor Magali Besson. Magali Besson is Professor of Philosophy at Paris en Panthéon-Sorbonne University. Her research focuses on contemporary theories of justice, distributive, criminal, reparatory, transformative, in relation to critical theories of race and racism. Professor Besson is the author of several books, including Sans Distinction de Race, Without Race Distinction, published in 2013, uh, Faire Justice de l'Irréparable, Esclavage Colonial et Responsabilité Contemporaine, Justice as a Response to the Irreparable, Colonial Slavery and Contemporary Responsibilities, as well as a book on double consciousness and racial condition in W.E.B. Du Bois. Last year, Magali Besson was a fellow of the Institute of Advanced Study at Princeton University. Magali Besson, welcome to Vis-a-vis. Uh, in his 2014 essay, The Case for Reparations, Tanahisi Coates says, what I'm talking about is more than recompense for past injustices, more than a handout, a payoff, hush money, or a reluctant bribe. What I'm talking about is a national reckoning that would lead to spiritual renewal. Magali Besson, in in your opinion, what should reparations involve? So thank you. Thank you for this uh, question. And I want to mention uh, that Coates, in my opinion, is right to insist 
on the fact that reparations are not blood money. And he's right because unfortunately, this is usually or too often the way they are perceived, both in the United States context and in the French context. And it's important to underline that reparations are plural because the colonial wrongs uh, they are supposed to be redressing are themselves multidimensional and multiscalar. You have um, uh, servile or forced labor, uh, inverse indemnities, as I mean, obviously in the case of Haiti, for instance, historical and cultural amnesia, political exclusion, legal depersonalization, violence, systemic racism, loss of dignity, environmental damage, etc. In the French case, moreover, particularly, it's also very important to underline that um, reparations for slavery, as in the Caribbean islands or the Reunion Island, obviously differ from reparations for uh, colonization and uh, war crimes in Algeria uh, or North Africa, or again, the Asian debt. Obviously, we cannot reply to these different wrongs with the same uh, tool as if there was one tool for many different crimes. Um, but Coase is also right to insist on another point that is really important as well. He's right to specify that there is a prerequisite to all forms of material or symbolic reparations, and that is the agreement that reparations is an idea whose time has come. We need to accept that France was built on and by violent conquest, labor exploitation, land appropriation, and that these crimes were never really properly acknowledged or addressed or obviously redressed, that there is a relation between these crimes of the past and current inequalities, and that this um, current inequalities are not coherent with, with what we, we, we think of ourselves, with the principles, the moral and political principles we, we would love to live by. So we have to uh, come to terms with the past and we owe it to ourselves. Thank you so much. This is um, the, the, the range of issues there. And I think we'll, um, we'll unpack them uh, little by little. Let's start with with the issue of justice itself, when we're talking about a crime and reparation for a crime, we're talking about justice. Um, what kind of justice in particular are we talking about? In your book, uh, Justice is a Response to the Irreparable, you propose using the concept of transitional justice as a framework for reparations. Transitional justice, as we know, is a, is a broad term that describes mechanisms a society uses to rebuild uh, and redress the wrongs uh, that were committed after uh, mass human rights abuses. Examples we can think of include, for example, uh, truth and reconciliation commissions in South Africa and Latin America. So why do you think specifically that this notion of transitional justice is useful as a framework for reparations? And, and what would reparations as transitional justice look like? Yeah, thank you. This is a very important question. I think everything is there. Um, reparations can be seen as part of uh, two different types of justice. So first, there is what we can call ordinary justice or remedial compensatory justice. And in this case, reparations 
belong to uh, the, the field of tort law. Tort law is this area of civil law concerned with determining who should be held accountable uh, for the harm done to a person, uh, who should be compensated, and uh, what should be the nature and amount of compensation. The error about uh, reparations for historic wrongs is precisely to view them only as part of this model of justice, as part of remedial or compensatory justice. According to the French uh, criteria of tort law, the right to reparation requires the absence of prescription, the attested existence of a reparable harm and the identification of a causal link between the harm and uh, the event giving rise to it. All these three conditions are extremely difficult to meet in the case of reparations for colonial slave trade and slavery. And until now, at least, um, all cases that have been brought to court in France um, face the arguments of non-retroactivity and statute of limitation. So this is why I think we should uh, view reparations as part of uh, the other model of justice, not ordinary justice, but transitional justice. Usually we say that uh, transitional justice was defined by various uh, declarations, uh, UN declarations. In this case, uh, reparations are one of the four pillars of transitional justice, which comprise uh, uh, truth-telling inquiries and commissions, uh, criminal justice, institutional reforms and guarantee of non-repetition, and reparations. It was designed as a set of legal or extra-legal mechanisms supposed to help societies transitioning from civil war or uh, authoritarian regimes to a more peaceful democratic uh, organization. What I suggest and what I think is really uh, useful is would be to operate a sort of paradigm shift uh, and consider our own societies, French uh, society, maybe the US society as well, um, which are allegedly stable, strong democracies uh, as societies in transition and in transition from a distant past. Um, the problem, or if we view it this way, it leads us to understand that uh, the systemic and structural effects of slavery and colonialism have never been, again, entirely addressed, analyzed, and they have produced a social and political organization far more deeply affected, weakened, and divided by this past than we usually are ready to acknowledge. If we consider reparations within this transitional framework, we gain two things, in my opinion. One, we think of ourselves as societies that are not ideally just or ideally democratic. But we think of ourselves as societies which can choose to transform and to go toward a more just society. So we're not just yet, but to become just is in our hands. And the second gain is that in this case, we can understand reparations in a much more broader uh, way than what is usually understood in the context of uh, ordinary compensatory justice. Because in the field of transitional justice, Reparations have been studied and addressed as uh, compensations, of course, but restitutions, rehabilitation, commemorations, memorials, museification, 
uh, apologies, respectful reburials, academic grants and scholarships, uh, archive opening, access to healthcare and psychological care, etc. So th- there's a whole range um, of issues and 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 content that um, reparations would entail, and that's really interesting to. Uh, the the way the way in which you unpack it, I think, is 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 really fascinating. Um, I'd like to turn perhaps to some of the the critics of of the issue of reparations, and some of these arguments are um, very well known. You've touched on the issue of causality between uh, you know the actual crime, its effects, and also who committed the crime. In your opinion, if this current generation isn't literally responsible for enslavement, how do you argue that they might be responsible for offering reparations uh, to the descendants of enslaved people? Again, this is a very important point indeed. Reparations, and I think this is something that is usually forgotten in the debates, reparations are obviously anchored uh, in the past, in the wrongs of the past. But reparations are aiming at the future. They are for the future. First, we owe reparations not only to the descendants of enslaved people. We owe reparations to the we we form together, again, as a political community, to all of us as a moral political community that at least is trying to share a common narrative and a common political project. Uh, we are responsible for what we want to do and be together for the relations and the conditions we want to build nationally and internationally for the next generations. So we are not causally responsible for the crimes of the past. We are not guilty for the crimes of the past, but we are responsible for understanding them and their consequences for our present and uh, our future. And second point, relatedly, if reparations are due today, when they are due today in the form that is the right form uh, for reparations, it is um, not because uh, of a past crime that happened a long time ago, that was stopped completely, never reoccurred again, um, and has completely disappeared. If and when reparations are due today, it is because the colonial slave system of the past has had and still has important consequences, important structural effects that they were never acknowledged, analyzed, abolished or modified. The abolition of slavery has not put an end to economic inequality or political inequality. And uh, former masters and former enslaved persons uh, inherited particularly, again, in the French case, in the overseas territories uh, from these, uh, these events of the past. And this is why and how we, current generations, are responsible for changing these inequalities that persist even today. That's fascinating. And, and I think that um, even critics would probably acknowledge the fact that uh, the, the crimes of, um, slavery and the slave trade are still having its effects felt today. That, um, society, our, our contemporary societies in the United States and in France have been shaped partly 
by slavery and the history of slavery. At the same time, those critics would perhaps argue if the issue is to achieve greater social justice, couldn't we just focus on the current inequalities that exist in society and try to address them with policies that are sensitive and that address the needs of these different groups? Why, what do we gain, in other words, by referring to the past? Yeah, what I think what we gain uh, when we consider questions of justice with some sort of historical mind or mindset, I mean, there are three points. So the first point would be reparations uh, have a rhetorical force in order to uh, incite us to, to commit to equality, to social economic equality. More importantly, the second point, in my opinion, is that we need to understand how inequalities were produced and perpetuated in order to diagnose an inequality as an injustice. Not all inequalities are necessarily unjust, and we need to understand why and how they were produced, and by whom, and for what purpose, and how they were then uh, perpetuated and reproduced in order to really make sure that there are injustices that should be redressed and not inequalities that call for other types of uh, um, uh, implementation or policies. So the historical context is important for the diagnosis, identification of a problem as a problem of justice and to know how to solve it. And three, <laughs> most importantly, I think, um, understanding social inequality with the frame of reparations allows us to understand that social injustice is not only a question of distributive justice, but it also um, partakes to uh, what Nancy Fraser, for instance, called uh, recognition uh, and uh, representation, to use her terminology. That is, um, social injustices are not only economic injustices, but are also injustices that... Um, cause misrecognition of people and uh, disrespect of either individuals or groups as such. That said, and that's also a very important thing, that said, it would be a mistake to think that any uh, social trouble can be solved with reparations. And I never pretended anything like that. And I think that no one who actually calls for reparations as a very important part of social justice uh, pretends that it's the only uh, thing that we need in order to have social justice realized. I think you make a very good case. Um, I'd like perhaps to come back to um, some of the concrete aspects of reparations then uh, that could be entailed with um, a reparation policy as it might be implemented in France or in the United States. Um, one of the issues, of course, is in public imagination, when we talk about reparations, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is monetary reparation. Um, is that one aspect of reparations that you feel in the French context would or could uh, gain support? Um, that's the first part of the question. And then secondly, are other forms of reparation, the symbolic forms of reparations, uh, commemorations and 
um, national days, etc. Are those forms of reparations that you feel would be or could be more easily implemented in the present context in France? Okay, so in the present context in France, memorial, uh, cultural, um, educational forms of reparations have been implemented. Things have been changing in the past 15 years, I would say, um, and uh, many initiatives testify to the fact that the political will at least, again, to a certain type of reparations, is not absent. There are many uh, such initiatives. I would not say that they are only symbolic for several reasons. First, because, uh, well, I mean, they involve money. I mean, they are very material. They are material in the landscape of our cities for statues or names of streets or etc., uh, they are very, um, I mean, they, they are, they, they cost money. If you create, um, a museum, you're not creating another one. You know, I mean, the funding has to be, uh, applied to this or that type of, uh, of decision. There is a national curriculum. So, uh, if, uh, someone ha- decides that slavery, a colonial slavery has to be mentioned in the program. For instance, in seventh grade, it's everywhere in France. And it means that textbooks have to be adapted, modified. It means that, you know, teachers have to be trained again. So, I mean, it's, it's a very important, it's not only symbolic. On the other hand, uh, many things have not been progressing um, the way memorial or historical reparations have. And of course, uh, again, monetary uh, payments have not uh, been uh, uh, effective, effective at all. Uh, IT is a case in point here. The New York Times, um, uh, a series of articles last spring, I mean, were really important and Le Monde uh, uh, followed them, but it was telling that they were not necessarily French journalists that took on the lead on this question. Um, land, uh, re, uh, restitution is also something that has been talked about in the overseas territories and nothing has been done. Um, these initiatives are criticized because they are too little too late, but they're also criticized on the other side because, uh, they are supposed or they considered as destroying, uh, the unity of the French Republic. So there is a momentum. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Emmanuel Macron is against reparations, but I think that the executive um, and the legislative are very, very cautious. And maybe something also that I should add is that former colonial empires um, are also trying to find a way uh, to reply, to respond to uh, repression demands. And I think that they are all observing each other. Um, Germany, for instance, has been really good uh, in terms of restitutions. And I think that all these good practices are probably creating something at the level of the European Union. And I'm hopeful for it. This has been really a fascinating conversation, uh, Magali. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for 
um, your your enlightening comments uh, on an issue that no doubt will will continue to shape many uh, debates our societies are facing on on both sides of the Atlantic. I'd like um, uh, to end just to remind our uh, listeners uh, that uh, Sans Distinction de Race, Without Race Distinction, was published by Vrin in 2013, uh, and Faire Justice de l'Irréparable, Esclavage Colonial et Responsabilité Contemporaine, Justice as a Response to the Irreparable, Colonial Slavery and Contemporary Responsibilities, was published in March 2022, also by Édition Vrin. Professor Abissan, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Vis-a-vis is brought to you by the Alliance Programme, a partnership between Columbia University, Paris and Panthéon-Sorbonne, Sciences Po, and École Polytechnique. This podcast is produced by Monica Hunter-Hart and Abdelbasid Ali, and I'm Emmanuel Kitan. Special thanks to Michelle Wilson and her colleagues at Columbia Libraries. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. If you're interested in learning more about the Alliance Programme and how we support academic exchanges, research, and collaboration between the U.S. and France, please visit us at alliance.columbia.edu or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.